Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Okay, welcome back, everybody. I'm going to jump right in here. number of different subjects right here at the top that just sort of scatter all over the place. I have just one or two education-related stories to bring up, two in particular, and then a few jab-related things, and I want to end with a rather older WHO document from 2017 that certainly needs to be brought up here. Uh, the first thing is this, and again, just a couple of random questions and a couple of comments from the previous episode. One of the things that is a question that I've been rolling around in my head for a little while now, and again, any lawyer listening to this, and if AJ's listening to this, he might even have the answer. And of course, I'm not a lawyer. I like to think I am sometimes, but I'm clearly not. I asked this question on Gab, and uh, again, it's just been rolling around in my head, which is this. Regarding courtrooms and the jabs, and of course what Karen Kingston said when she was on X-22 Report by saying, hey, look, this has to start at the local level. This is how you go after Pfizer. This is how you go after those, those companies. Um, and she, she, of course, claimed that nothing was going to happen from the top down, or at the very least that the way that things get solved is by mama bears getting involved and, and things rolling down the pipeline, so to speak, at the local level. And then, of course, I disagreed. And said, I don't see that. I, I just don't see that happening. My question is this Does anyone involved in a court case have to recuse themselves from such a potential prosecution of, say, Pfizer, Johnson and Johnson, whatever, Moderna, AstraZeneca, you know, pick one, because they themselves have used the product? Does that then mean that, again, any lawyer, or judge who has been jabbed has to recuse themselves because, again, they've used the product. Or maybe they know someone who has used the product and those people have been hurt. Or maybe they know other people who have used the product and they have not been hurt. But now they're hearing this information and they're reading these, you know, the, all, all of this evidence and they're seeing all of this and they're saying, well, I can't get involved because I've used the product. Or I know someone who has, or I know, again, someone who's been hurt or someone who's dead or, or whatever else. And what if, again, the people haven't used the product? Does that too mean that they have to recuse themselves because they know someone who has used it and has been hurt? So my, my real question, too, on top of all of that is, is, again, do they have to recuse themselves, number one? And number two, is it a dead end? Does that immediately create a legal dead end? Because again, everybody knows someone who's used it, and everybody knows someone who's been hurt by it. And the wall is closing in on people who know, I mean, I know people who know people who are dead from it. And I know people who have died from it. Not in my immediate family yet, but I know people who have, even in the town where I live. But if everybody is involved in it at, at, some, at some level, how can Karen Kingston, as a legal analyst, think that handling it in local courtrooms at the local level is the way that it gets done? So, again, I'm just asking a question. I'm not, I, I just don't know. It would feel like they would have to recuse themselves because that's like looking at a juror and saying, well, okay, th this particular, uh, you know, particular court case that we're asking you to be involved in or a part of, is a murder trial. Raise your hand if any of you have been 
associated with a murder of some kind, whether it be, of course, through a family member or a friend. Anybody who raises their hand has to recuse themselves. I believe, anyway. I mean, you, you don't want people who have been associated with murder cases on a trial or sitting on a jury for a murder trial. I, I view it the same way in, in this jab situation and this bioweapon that, of course, has been unleashed on society. It would, it would legally eliminate any opportunity for anyone at the local level to handle this, which, again, I think is why, to again reiterate what even Q posts have said, that military is the only way. It has to be the only way. Because, again, you're talking about emails, you're talking about an impartial uh, military tribunal of some kind, you're talking about international crime. So that's going to lead to another piece of audio that I want to play a little bit later with Todd Callender, where he apparently claims that Switzerland, if I'm getting the country correctly, or Sweden, it's one of the two, that they are uh, in, engaging in, in such tribunals, that that's already happening, and that they have the right to pull in anybody who participated in this entire kill program, th this, this depopulation program, and then try them and then, again, deliver punishment and execute them if need be. That's what he claims. He also, of course, states that nothing is happening in the United States at the local level regarding this. But once this happens again in other countries, because of international law, you can round up whoever you want. So he claims again that a foreign country could bring in American politicians or American individuals who are directly involved and then try them and, and, and sentence them and, and execute them if need be. So I don't know, but it, just, it, it simply boils down to the fact that I don't think that anything is going to happen at the local level regarding the jabs. Because everybody would have to recuse themselves. <clears throat> Excuse me, but that's the question I'm asking. So, if, you know, if that sounds logical or somebody has an answer to that, please email me. I'd, I'd love to hear it. Because, again, it, it just seems like it seems like a dead end. Because you're talking about an empty courtroom. Everybody knows somebody who's been involved. And we have to assume, because the judiciary, of course, is a part of government, that they're jabbed. Or at the very least, the majority are, are potentially jabbed. I mean, they went along with this. So, I don't know. I, I think that's going to get more and more weird as time goes on. Um, moving on here then to this. And again, I, I also too want to get into basically my comments on, on what happened with the House Judiciary Committee regarding the Twitter files and, and Twitter as a company. That was an interesting hearing. I watched and listened to a great deal of it. Of course, the lights went out also, which was funny. There's an old cue drop that points directly to that. Basically, it said, if the lights go out, know that we are in charge. Or know that, uh, you know, it's all under control, something along those lines. But either way, I received, ironically enough, at the end of last episode, I received an email from a New York City publication. And they have been reporting on. COVID, quote-unquote, and the school impact and the impact on children regarding COVID and, and what they believe are some potential solutions and so on and so forth. They got a hold of me because they wanted me to talk with 
the editor of their paper and basically interview them allegedly or have them on my show so that I could talk to them or they could talk to me about what it is that they're doing. They sent me this email and I want to read it because it's ironic and it basically fits directly into what I said in the last episode, which is that schools are not the solution. And that this right here is is perfect proof that the powers that be have set up this problem on purpose to then implement their so-called solution. And again, their solution is more school control. It's more education control over the family, over the child, and over their entire frame of mind, if not quote-unquote healthcare, which is disturbing to say the least. And of course, we've seen that over the last three years. But uh, it was titled this. This was, again, their their email to me, and I'll read my response to them, and then their response back to me. It was a it was a cordial back and forth. I wasn't I wasn't angry with them or anything. I you know I like to think that I just educated them a little bit about the larger problem. But um, they said this. It was titled "Pitch New Report: The Pandemic Robbed Thousands of New York City Children of Parents. Why aren't getting the help? Many aren't rather getting the help they need." That's all true, and it's remarkably unfortunate, and I agreed with them. I fully said, hey, look, I, I understand that families have been destroyed by this. This is a, this is a big deal. I, I just don't think that they understand the larger scheme at play, much like America's frontline doctors. Same kind of thing. You know, all of these organizations don't seem to understand the larger scheme at play. So it's i mean it's depopulation i don't know how else to say it that's what this is that's the entire scheme so they said this they said hi dr brooks hope all is well i'm reaching out to you to pitch an episode on the lingering impacts covid-19 had on children particularly those who lost a parent or caregiver to the pandemic so already in their first sentence these are red flags to me they're they're saying covid-19 like it's real and they're saying pandemic like it's real. Again, I'm not blaming them. Everybody wakes up at different points regarding the word usage that's being used and the messages that are being used. But immediately I thought, well, okay, I'm clearly going to keep reading it. Uh, and I did. And it said this. It said, in 2020, nonprofit newsroom, The City, launched Missing Them, quote unquote, a collaborative journalism project with the goal of commemorating everyday New Yorkers lost to COVID-19. The first phase of the project focused on collecting and memorizing the stories of these folks that keep the city moving, like essential workers, but are rarely the ones memorialized in expensive obituaries. You can take a look at the memorials and the obits here, and they provided a link. It said one of these obits also came uh, with, with these, or out of these rather, obituaries also came some powerful stories from New Yorkers that would have otherwise gone unnoticed had it not been for the Missing Them initiative, apparently, that they pushed out. It says stories like that of Yanan, uh, Yvonne Parson, who lost her 93-year-old father to COVID-19 and subsequently found out the nursing home he resided in administered a potentially lethal and unauthorized cocktail of drugs to her father as a COVID-19 cure. 
The second phase of Missing Them, quote-unquote, was launched in 2022, focusing primarily on outreach to caregivers, teachers, mental health experts, etc., to ascertain the impact losing a caregiver to COVID-19 had on young children. And then they have three articles that they linked that said below are our findings. Uh, It says one in every 200 New York City children have lost a parent or caregiver to COVID. That's almost twice the national rate. I completely agree with that. I have no disagreement thus far. It says the next the next story that they published uh, was titled Four Kids Who Lost a Parent to COVID. Here's where to find support. This is where things start to start to shift a little in their approach. And then the last article that they sent was titled The Pandemic Robbed Thousands of New York City Children of Parents. Many aren't getting the help they need. You can, you can maybe sense the shift here as to where they believe the actual support needs to come from. It then says, please let me know if you're interested. I can set up a call with Missing, them edit, missing Them's editor, and they provide their name, to explore this further uh, and share more about the project. Again, this is coming from their communications and marketing director. They were, I, again, they were nice. I fully, I fully get it and I fully understand. Let me read my response to them. Again, as you would expect, rather direct. And, uh, and I used the opportunity to hopefully educate them a little bit because, again, in their articles that they were publishing, they believe that schools have a bigger role to play. And as you know, that's not good. You know my stance on that. You know the larger picture. This was all on purpose. It was on purpose to get people to understand or believe, I should say, that schools need to have a place to fill and that they need to be there to be a catch basin for all of these children so that they can then do whatever they want with these children and run with it, basically. And and I, I think that's remarkably poisonous for a variety of reasons. So here's my email response. I said, hello, thank you for your email. I'll preface this by stating that I know that millions of American children have lost families to purposeful negligent COVID, quote unquote, policies within hospitals, including an inability to gain easily accessible medicine that their governments and state officials kept from them on purpose. This was the real problem. The real problem was government and the school systems themselves that perpetuated many lies. This has had and is having a devastating impact on children, adults, the elderly, and every American and citizen across the world. However, schools are not the solution here. In fact, schools and their policies have been the problem along with government and hospitals' policies. My show is not really one for guests, as I cover the majority of the analysis into these subjects and more on my own. Now, of course, you know I have guests on and I know who these people are by and large. And uh, anybody can contribute to the show with information, and I'm not opposed to guests. I just, uh, I wasn't interested in having a back and forth with someone who, who, who patently doesn't understand what's going on. That was my, that, that's basically what that sentence means. Anyway, I continued and I said, in fact, ironically enough, my latest episode airing tomorrow, which of course was Wednesday's episode, covers the once hidden and now open plan to turn schools into quote-unquote trauma-based resilience centers. 
for all children and staff members. This is a problem. This is more government mind control as they themselves created the problem and perpetuated the problem without question or thought, only to now sell the alleged solution after the trauma. It's the Hegelian dialectic. I said under no circumstance do I support government or school intervention assistance in any solution, quote-unquote, to the problems for which they themselves created, blindly believed, and perpetuated. I'm a homeschool advocate, always have been. The American K-12 school system is responsible for the deaths of countless children and the destruction of endless families. They have no solutions. They are the enemy, in my opinion, and I am not the only one that shares this firm grasp of reality. Soon, the American K-12 school system will cease to exist. Their direct and indirect role in the largest killing of Americans in the history of the world, COVID bioweapon jabs, I put that in parentheses, will contribute to their downfall. It's only a matter of time, and it's already happening. I'm very sorry for anyone who has lost a family member due to the, f- due to the failed and controlled medical policies of government. Hospitals' procedures and policies were a kill program. People who entered hospitals were murdered by their policies in our government who forced such policies. This has been proven. Government now seeks to provide a solution? Question mark? No. Period. I said I'll make mention of your publication on my show and lead people to where they can find it if they choose to, but I don't think given our differing points of view on who the enemy is, that will be that I will be able to assist you. God bless and be well, Dr. Sean Brooks. They replied back and said, thank you for your thoughtful response and offering to make mention of our newsroom. I really appreciate it. All the best. Again, in summary, everybody's waking up at different points here. And, uh, you know, I don't have a problem shooting out an email like that in an effort to educate individuals on what's really going on. But under no circumstance should the enemy be the solution to our problems. Schools, schools perpetuated this government lie because schools are government. That's the overarching point here. Schools fear-mongered the entire time. Schools made children wear the masks. They made them do the distancing. You know, all, all of the lies. Walk around with the plastic shields, you name it. They're child abusers. These systems were child abusers. Hospitals, doctors' offices, you name it. Death by needle. I mean, pick one. It's astounding to me. But this is, this is the bigger problem, is that people are continuing to view schools as being some kind of a safe haven for children, in particular children who have now lost parents or family members or caregivers from the COVID policies or the jabs. I'm sorry. Uh, They need to stay as far away from schools and, and government intervention as humanly possible. They need to stay out of government buildings. And, you know, I, I don't know what else to add. They just need to stay away from these from these places. But I think it's unfortunate that some of these organizations don't know that yet. But it's not it's not uncommon. They're, they're caught in a habit of just consistently believing again that that school needs to be a place to help people. No, this is this is <laughs> this is such a big problem. Again, I could ramble about it for hours and hours, but they're government. I, I don't know what else to say. 
they are a government. They've gotten away from reading, writing, arithmetic, and teaching children to think and, and teaching students to think, in particular for themselves, and they have just become a separate arm of government. And look what that's gotten everybody. I mean, they normalized child abuse among the most brainwashed, and the most brainwashed over the last couple of years just went along with it. They bought it hook, line, and sinker. I think it's terrible. So no, don't don't rely on American on the American K twelve school system you know to solve your problems because they won't. It will always make things worse because that's government. Everything government touches turns to dust. Okay, wanted to bring this story up very quickly uh, before I get into the Twitter stuff, and then I'll lean into the jab things, of course, because it's directly related, as you would expect. Um, This, of course, was bouncing around the old interwebs that a Catholic school student, male student, was was kicked out of their school for saying that there's only two genders. This, of course, happened in Canada in a Catholic school, so keep that in mind. And uh, has, of course, now been arrested because, again, they tried to re-enter the school. You know, this is an old play that's been played before by endless students over the last two, almost three years. For a variety of reasons, again, whether it be mask wearing or or calling out a particular perversion or whatever it may be, they weren't. I mean, they were suspended because they stood up for their beliefs in a Catholic school. That should tell everybody all you need to know about a, about at least this particular Catholic school. But what is continuing to come down the pipeline regarding the church, Catholicism, and uh, and all of this organized religion, it's a massive problem. And it's going to keep being that way. Again, I saw that the Church of England has said that they're no longer using the word he when it comes to God, along with an, you know, a variety of other things, that they're blessing gay marriages now and whatever else. It's not going to get better. These people are the enemy, and it's going to get worse. So understanding the structure of how churches work and how Catholic schools operate is, is rather simple. They operate by reading emails and doing what the emails tell them. Pastors receive emails, and they follow those orders. Catholic schools receive the same emails from the top down. They follow those orders. And they have playbooks that they follow when it comes to dissident thought or dissident individuals who, you know, speak their mind and believe in freedom of speech regardless of the country where they live, and and that's the way that it goes. The reason that he was arrested, of course, was, or at least I should say escorted off of, of the campus, was simply because he tried to re-enter the school after being suspended. That happens with just about any student who tries to re-enter a school while they're supposed to be suspended. Now, should he have been suspended? Of course not. But the question is, is why didn't he immediately disenroll from the school? Why hasn't the student decided to homeschool himself? He's clearly of age to read and write. He's a high school student. He can teach himself. See, now it's just a political stunt, and I understand the point he's making, and it's a valid point, and he has shined a light on this particular school, which is great, that they are corrupt, that the Catholic schools, again, they have an agenda, that agenda is going to get worse, but just stop going now. Just don't go. You have, you, it, it, they can't offer you anything that you can't offer yourself in spades. So just stop going and then solve your own issues and, and teach yourself and go from there. 
So again, I commend him for standing up for himself and doing what he's doing without a doubt, but don't try to re-enter the prison that you were once in, uh, even though, again, it's highlighted the prison even more, which you would think that the prison would understand is a bad idea, but see, they don't care. They have an agenda. They're going to follow it. It doesn't matter how many lights are shined on them or how much exposure they receive, even if it's bad exposure to them, they believe that they're in the right when it comes to pushing the gay agenda and the perversions and all of it. So, and the brainwashing, for lack of a better word, but that's it. Okay. Again, I commend the dude, but uh, it's time to leave now and, and homeschool yourself and, and get, out of that, uh, get out of that meat grinder. Okay, speaking of the meat grinder that is Simone Gold, I have some audio I want to play here. This was a recent conversation, which I highly recommend watching the whole thing. Very interesting. This is on Stephanie Braille's substack, again called Holistic, W-H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C. And she has an hour-long discussion with Renette Sunum. Uh, there's a lot of storytelling going on, which is interesting, about AFLDS and Simone Gold. John Strand also, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to play just a little clip of that here. It's about six or so minutes long. But uh, there's a lot of information that's shared here, and it just continues to prove that this entire thing is awful regarding AFLDS Simone Gold. She is uh, the worst of the worst, and it's not going to get any better. Again, she's irrelevant. She has nothing to offer, and they even state well into the episode which you've heard me say, and Renette Sunum repeats it, she basically says, if you're giving money to Simone Gold or AFLDS, you're wasting your money. You're putting it right into her pocketbook, and that's it, and you're funding their lifestyle. Again, you've heard me speak about these people and people like this with regularity. This disgusts me to no end because they're flaunting what they're spending your money on when, when again, people donate to people like this. They're flaunting it. Uh, I think it's disgusting, and yeah, and, and you're going to get another taste of it right here. So here's Renette and Stephanie having a brief conversation again. This is at the 20-minute mark of this uh, hour-long conversation, so give this a listen real quick. So this little anecdote, which I can't verify, but it is uh, somewhat illustrative is that one of the first doctors that was apparently listed on the AFLDS telemedicine website, uh, who was there in part because he was actually able to prescribe in all 50 states, apparently. And uh, he was one of the uh, guys who was on the Supreme Court steps with the original White Coat Summit. And I was told that uh, Simone Gold just didn't like him for some reason. She didn't like his image or felt like he was a little goofy. I'm not sure exactly what her beef was. So, and I, I'm, you're now hearing this third hand through me. So some of these details may not be accurate, but anyway, the gist of this is that a year after they had that uh, initial white coat summit, they had a conference and the conference was apparently a huge cluster fork because uh, the organization was just run extremely poorly and multiple people would be tasked with trying to coordinate the same thing uh, and that there was the people who were running things were kind of clueless and uh, not very amenable to feedback and it was a very toxic environment and what did the person say? I've never seen people treated so badly in my life was what, what's what she said. 
And so the, the deal was, is that they were going to have this conference. Oh, and that they were nickel and diming too. So even though the organization had brought in like $17 million or some ridiculous amount of money, that they, they had a hard time convincing the organization to, to invest in getting a, a proper projector for the speakers. They didn't want to get tables for the people who were going to be at the conference, even though they were going to have food. Uh, so there was just all this like really weird, like just mismanagement. And that this particular doctor who was at the conference, um, I guess they decided that they didn't want him part of the organization anymore. And after the conference, they were going to have this dinner at this restaurant. So because it wasn't coordinated very well, they had, and it was uh, supposed to have like something like 80 people show up at the restaurant with a prefix menu, which is basically like everybody eats the same thing. And it's like in multiple courses and it's a kind of a high end meal. Uh, almost 90 people showed up and they didn't have seats for them. They also showed up like very late. So the restaurant was like really thrown off their schedule. And so uh, when all these doctors showed up, um, instead of trying to arrange for a way for everybody to get fed, they basically kicked people out. And this particular doctor who had been the first one to offer the telemedicine and had also been on the steps of the Capitol building in front of everybody. And they all had like these like, you know, promo uh, white coats with the logo on it in front of everybody. Apparently, this is allegedly I can't verify this. Um, they stripped him of his coat in front of everybody and, and pushed him out of the dinner. Can you believe that? Like, like now I'm going to unmute you. <laughs> it's like, like, I just had to, uh, yeah, there you go. Oh, you have to un unmute yourself now. Okay, go on. I'm not terribly. I'm not terribly. I'm not terribly, terribly I think there's an echo. I'm not terribly surprised because I was speaking to Kevin Jenkins regularly, and I spoke to him last week, and he told me a story um, that happened just recently. Is when Clay Clark began, Kevin Jenkins was a big supporter of Clay. You know, really invested him in many ways, saying, "Okay, do it," and supported him, and was there from the get-go of his, his Clay Clark uh, events, speaking tour, and so on. And um, so he's known Clay for for quite a few years now. And what happened was most recently, uh, a friend and, and um, you know comrade, they worked together, um, I think on the Zelenko Foundation, um, Anne Vandersteen got a hold of Kevin and said, Kevin, I want to let you know that this Clay Clark event happening in Florida, um, Simone Gold um, is getting a half an hour while other speakers are only getting 15 minutes. Uh, but she basically called up Clay Clark and said, um, I don't want Kevin Jenkins to be on the stage, get rid of him. And so Clay told Ann Vanderstein this, but but Clay and, and Kevin, of course, is saying, wait a second, why didn't Clay Clark call me for old friends? I mean, I've known Clay longer than Ann has. Um, but 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 why is why does Simone Gold think that she has the right to tell Clay Clark who he can and cannot have on the stage? And so ultimately Kevin did go. He did not, you know, kick him off. Uh, he did speak, and interestingly enough, while there, John uh, John Strand uh, actually approached and accosted Anne Vandersteen, who was standing right next to Sherry Tenpenny, another friend of mine, and just read her the right act and literally got into her face. Like, you know, who do you think you are? Da, da, da. I don't know exactly what the whole beef was about. But um, maybe it's because she spilled the beans. I don't know. But this woman is all about free speech. She espouses free speech. We have the right to speak, da, 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 all about the First Amendment. But then when there's somebody, who is calling out her crimes and her fraudulent activity, 
she's literally trying to kick them off the stage on an event that she has no control over. And, and she's just simply another speaker. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So um, I, I watched your video where you talked about whether she's controlled opposition or delusional. Uh, I do think, and I'm not a psychiatrist, um, but I one in 25 people is a sociopath. And sociopath doesn't necessarily mean that people are axe murderers uh, or serial killers. It means that they are unable to, they don't have emotions like the rest of us do. And they calculate everything that they do for their own benefit and their own gain. And so, uh, and then there's a narcissist, which there's an overlap, but sometimes narcissists may have feelings, whereas sociopaths don't. And uh, when I watched your video where you were talking with Kevin Jenkins, and I, by the way, I was very impressed with him. I felt so much better about the organization. I was like, boy, if this guy's handling things, this is going to, you know, he's, he's really smart. So that end of that video that you did where you showed that interview that Simone had with, uh, I can't remember that guy's name, but um, she was just, she was totally acting, you know, like the projecting narcissist. I wasn't the one that did anything bad. They're the ones who are corrupt. And I looked at her eyes and her eyes freaked me out. Like cold, dead evil not even not even dead there was like an, a malevolence that was radiating from them not all the time but there would be these times where she'd stop and she kind of like kind of stare into the camera a little bit and and she just she just malevolence was radiating out to me from the screen and I was like whoa okay I I you know whatever doubts I might have had now that I've seen that look from her I I, I spent 15 years watching that show Supernatural <laughs> which is and that's silly but like whenever somebody was like uh, possessed by demons they would get these like like completely black eyes and I'm not saying she's possessed by demons but that was kind of the the look that she had in her face and I was like okay she's 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 possibly just like a an out and out sociopath like. Like I, and so I had this conversation with the person who used to work with her and knew her. And apparently people in person would comment on her dead, creepy eyes. And, um, so this isn't, it wasn't just me noticing this. Um, she, uh, I, I would, the, although I will say that that person I was talking to also said, well, you know, it's possible that she um, was uh, brainwashed early on by MKUltra, if you believe in those sorts of things. We don't need to necessarily go into that sort of level of conspiracy to see that there might be some manipulation going on. So so I, I think this whole story could be something as simple as she is, uh, you know, basically a sociopath who's just trying to manipulate the world around her. She saw an opportunity uh, and that this John Strand guy is basically a gold digger who, uh, you know, latched himself to her because, you know, she was uh, making some money and he wanted to make some money and, and that was the best he could do. Uh, I've known, I, I spent a lot of time in Los Angeles. I knew gold, no gold diggers. <laughs> I had a roommate who was a legit gold digger. So I've seen this up and close. Um, and so this could all be simply explained by greed and, you know, being an opportunist. Um, I also have this uh, theory that um, there might be people who aren't actively trying to be controlled opposition, but that forces that are looking to manipulate things might pick out people that they think would be good to highlight and put to the forefront to make other people look bad. And so they get more attention than the people who are more reasonable. So 
uh, that could be, oh, you want to say something else? I'll, I'll just let you go. <laughs> no, I, I <laughs> okay, can you hear me? Okay. Um, yeah, actually, you're right. See, that's the thing is, is that when there are individuals who are out there to control other people, they look for the weaknesses. They look for narcissists. They look for sociopaths. They look for people who are greedy. They look for people who they can sexually trap, right? The, the honey traps. And, and, and interestingly enough, I've heard from numerous people who have been involved in uncovering these type of things that for some weird reason, the Mossad, Israeli Mossad, they use underwear models a lot because they have such gorgeous bodies, right? And so here he is, his underwear model. He just shows up. The man's as gay as gay can be. And I'm a gay woman, so I have nothing against that. It's just, it's just, we're just stating a fact. He is gay. So she keeps calling him the boyfriend. I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. But there's no doubt that she had a, a deep weakness. And there's no doubt that something and somebody is manipulating it now. Um, to what extent, when did it start? That's still a big question. The other thing that's also really upsetting to me is the fact that this, this, this frontline news continues to be out of Israel and they're nasty. I mean, they're, they're really nasty and, and they really are very good, very good in a sociopathic way of twisting the troops, giving the false headlines. And it's kind of frightful actually. And so for her, lying is really, really easy. And, and when I was you know, putting that little interview that you're talking about together, it was staggering for me to hear her make the claims that she was making. And I kept saying to the screen as I'm you know, editing this, I'm like, it's, it's documented. It's in the court cases. It's, it's like, it's, it's now evidentiary evidence as far as like you were completely lying. It's here in the documents, the, the judge's words. And she's completely twisting it. And, and, and she's not stopping. It's not like she's like, oh, let me get out of this trap and just back away. She's actually digging her feet in. And now she's on, on the, the, the tour, you know, a speaking tour with, of all people, John Strand. And so it's, I don't know where she turned, or maybe she was just always involved in this kind of stuff from the get-go. She does have a lot of these really interesting, powerful Israeli ties that are a bit disturbing. Um, and again, I have Israeli friends. I have nothing against Israel. I do not like the government whatsoever. And so, um, you know, it's, it's questionable and we don't know. And that's still hopefully going to be uncovered at some point in time. She also has a lot of deep connections to the Scientologists. There's a lot of Scientologists heavily involved in this. And they're scary. They're actually scary. Um, and there's a lot. And she's, high, she's tied to that as well. And people that I know, people I would consider friends, and they're high ranking. And they're also pushing the Bible verses, pretending they are Christians when they're not. They're Scientologists. And what they're doing is they're going after the Christian dollars. They're going after the Christian dollars. Uh, I got to tell you, there's so much to go over here. There's so much. This was just tossed my way also. I got to mention this real quick. Apparently, Simone Gold was back with Kate Daly again. And back on Kate Daly's show during InfoWars yesterday. Yuck. Or at least today, whenever it is. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's so disgusting. I'm shocked that anybody's giving her an opportunity to talk. Do they not know all of this surrounding her, all of this corruption, all of these lies? Are they completely unaware that she's a psycho? Uh, I, I tell you what. I warned Kay Daly a long time ago. I said, you're going to want to be careful with this one. You need to stay away from her. But she apparently uh, apparently hasn't listened. In any case, Scientology, ladies and gentlemen, Scientologists wrapped up with AFLDS and the 
freedom movement, so to speak, and Clay Clark and all these other weirdos. And then, of course, taking Christian money and siphoning Christian attention their way for a, clearly nefarious reasons, if not just a giant distraction, not to mention all of the unprofessionalism, the international ties. It's disgusting. The whole thing is disgusting. These people are not our friends. They are the enemy within. They're trying to profit clearly off of the backs of dead people and people who want sympathy or need a shoulder to cry on or whatever it may be. It's beyond disgusting. It's just awful. Um, yeah. Again, I, I, I recommend going over to Stephanie Braille's Substack and checking that entire thing out. This is, this is a pinata that's going to keep giving. It's just going to keep giving. I know a lot of it sounds like a lot of gossip, but ladies and gentlemen, it's corruption. And it's a much bigger picture. And there's, there's, more, there's more at play here, I think, than what we can possibly imagine. So, yeah, I'm going to put that down for now, but I'm certain I'm going to pick it up later on uh, in, in future episodes. In fact, I'm probably I'm going to watch the Kate Daly thing. And then I'll, I'll make comments on it on Monday's episode. But uh, yeah, okay. On to the Twitter thing. It was beyond obvious during the judicial committee with Twitter and those criminals that they, of course, have been working with government and government agencies to censor people. We know this. None of this is, none of this is new. I love how, of course, they were given their legal line, which is to say, that every single time that they said, to the best of my recollection, I don't recall. It's exquisite. Nice legalese. Nice way of trying to cover your tail is to basically say, I don't remember. When in fact, they do remember. They know exactly what they were doing. They knew, they knew when they were doing it. There were endless emails and receipts that were shown to them that were proving it. You know, Do you remember this email, this, that, and the other? There were a boatload of revelations, of course, some of which weren't, weren't new, but then a few which I thought were interesting, uh, in, in particular if you can read between the lines. Congresswoman Mace, and I'm going to play her audio, openly admits that she's jab injured. She openly admits it. And then she gets into, again, the censorship of, of particular doctors and, and so on and so forth. This right here is what Twitter was really engaging in. I'm not concerned with Twitter kicking off Marjorie Taylor Greene or uh, Lauren Boebert because they made a tweet. That's just a direct implication that Twitter didn't like either one of them, and Twitter was doing what they wanted to do by bending their own rules to kick them off. I don't agree with it. I just don't think that's the big fish. I think the bigger fish is the fact that Twitter was silencing doctors and citizens who were speaking out against the jabs and uh, speaking out against the hospital protocols and the medicines and simple over-the-counter cures, vitamins, nutrients, etc., that could have saved endless lives. And as a result of doing that, Twitter specifically got endless people killed. That's the bigger fish. So I'm going to play Congresswoman Mace's audio here. Uh, in its entirety, well, at least the clip that I put up on Gab here in three, two, one. 
<clears throat> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. The Twitter fires files were not just about Hunter Biden's laptop. Twitter files make it apparent Twitter worked overtime to suppress accurate COVID information. Dr. Jay Bhattacharya is a professor of medicine at Stanford who once tweeted an article he wrote about natural immunity. Thanks to Elon Musk's release of the Twitter files, we learned some of his tweets were tagged with the label of trends blacklist. Apparently, the views of a Stanford doctor are disinformation to you people. I, along with many Americans, have long-term effects from COVID. Not only was I a long hauler, but I have effects from the vaccine. It wasn't the first shot, but it was the second shot that I now developed asthma that has never gone away since I had the second shot. Um, I have tremors in my left hand, and I have the occasional heart pain that no doctor can explain, and I've had a battery of tests. I find it extremely alarming Twitter's unfettered censorship spread into medical fields and affected millions of Americans by suppressing expert opinions from doctors and censoring those who disagree with the CDC. I have great regrets about getting the shot because of the health issues that I now have that I don't think are ever going to go away. And I know that I'm not the only American who has those kinds of concerns. Another example of what Twitter has done to censor folks is uh, from Dr. Martin Koldorf, a Harvard-educated epidemiologist who once tweeted, COVID vaccines are important for high-risk people and their caretakers. Those with prior natural infection do not need it, nor children. The Twitter files reveal this tweet was deemed false information because it ran contrary to the CDC. So my first question this morning of Ms. Gaddy, may I ask of you? Where did you go to medical school? I did not go to medical school. I'm sorry. I did not go to medical school. That's what I thought. Why do you think you or anyone else at Twitter had the medical expertise to censor a doctor's expert opinion? Our policies regarding COVID were designed to protect individuals. We were seeing you guys censored Harvard-educated doctors, Stanford-educated doctors, doctors that are educated in the best places in the world, and you silenced those voices. My next question is to the U.S. government. Oh, excuse me. I have another chart I want to show you, Ms. Gaddy. Um, I have another tweet by someone with a following of a full 18,000 followers. This person but a chart from the CDC on Twitter is the CDC's own data, so it's accurate by your standards, and you all labeled this as misleading. You're not a doctor, right, Ms. Gaddy? No, I'm not. Okay, what makes you think you or anyone else on Twitter have the medical expertise to censor actual, accurate CDC data? I'm not familiar with these particular situations. Yeah, I'm sure you're not. Okay, first of all, uh, you know, kudos to Congresswoman Mace for, for doing that and highlighting that. I'm not disagreeing with her. I, I'll say this. Yes, I understand she's using the argument, are you a medical doctor? What gives you the right to say what you're saying? That's 100% true. Again, they're, they're, a, they're a private company. They can do what they want. Well, sort of. Not when it comes to harming people, of course. But at the same time, it's this, it's this overarching belief that, oh, if a person's not a medical doctor, then they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Twitter, of course, is on the opposite end of that spectrum. I mean, they're on the other end. People like myself and people like you, we, we aren't medical doctors either. So would, she, would Congresswoman Mace criticize us for saying the things that we're saying? And the, I mean, I don't know. But the answer is, is it doesn't matter. 
We are literate. We have brains. We can think. And that argument, regardless of what side of the aisle it comes from, well, are you a medical doctor? What gives you the right to say this? That doesn't matter. It's individuals who are free thinkers and individuals who are liars. That's the difference. That's the good and the evil here. Twitter, of course, are the liars. They're openly engaging in the censorship on purpose because they're trying to, again, carry out the the globalist narrative of depopulation ultimately. They're not going to say that, but that's what's going on. And they may be the useful idiots and they may not know that that's the larger scheme. Or they might be psychopaths and they might fully understand. You know, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I just, I don't like, I don't like the excuse or the argument of, well, you can't talk about that because you're not a medical doctor. Ladies and gentlemen, medical doctors aren't medical doctors. And it's the individuals who aren't medical doctors like us who are on the right side of history that had this right from day one. We knew that this was a card that the enemy was going to play eventually, and they played it. And again, there, you know, there's a, a Wisconsin congressman later on who asks a very similar question. Republican asks the entire board a very simple question. He says, did you know that Twitter was censoring doctors who were providing alternate opinions to the mainstream narrative? And honest to God, all four of them sat there at the table and they didn't even respond. They didn't nod their heads in agreement. They didn't say yes or no. They just sat there. In fact, I think Jim Baker at one point, who's, of course, as corrupt as the day is long, he said something like, no, I'm completely unaware of that. And everybody else just sat there quiet and didn't say anything. And he asked the question to everybody. And they, they just sat there. Like they didn't know that Twitter, like Twitter executives wouldn't know that they were deleting, altering opinions of, of what other medical doctors and even non-medical doctors were saying that were, again, just an alternate opinion of the mainstream narrative. It's absurd. That's like a shoe store saying that they don't know that they sell shoes. It, it just makes no sense. So they're clearly lying. They have to be prosecuted, of course, not under this DOJ. Someone else has to prosecute them. Uh, and I, I don't know who that's going to be. I don't know who's going to intervene to do that, but it certainly can't be the current DOJ because why would they? Why would why would a hard left-wing, corrupt, globalist, depopulation agenda D, D, DOJ go through with recommending prosecution or actually prosecuting these individuals? They They wouldn't. They're not going to. And I don't think they're going to even in the interest of, of saving themselves to some extent. I just don't think they're going to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So anyway, it was an interesting hearing. Um, it was interesting watching them, again, try to weasel their way out of particular explanations. Of course, you get in front of Congress under oath. Everybody has amnesia. Everybody doesn't remember what went on or I don't recall or you know a bunch of other excuses. It really is disgusting, but it's par for the course, basically. I hope it's waking somebody up. But uh, yeah. The other irony, too, which was beyond pathetic that I saw was Jamie Raskin of New York. Uh, you know, slippery Democrat was involved in the second impeachment of Trump. It was disgusting, if not the first also. But he's wearing a do-rag because he's losing his, his, his hair. Now, he always had bad hair and he was always losing his hair, but He's receiving cancer treatment because he's jabbed. So 
He's diagnosed with a rare but treatable cancer, so he said. Excuse me. And now, um, when he wasn't talking during the hearing, he was actually wearing a mask. He would immediately put the mask back on. No one else in the room other than the occasional Democrat aide or other lunatic in the room was wearing a mask. So the irony here, of course, is, is this. Jamie Raskin has cancer from the jabs. He's jab injured. He's wearing a mask, apparently not knowing that wearing a mask deprives himself of oxygen and the number one cause of cancer is oxygen deprivation. You cannot make up this level of stupidity. You can't. You can't make up this level of gaslighting. Uh, it just proves, again, if Jamie Raskin is told to do what he's doing, you know, make sure you wear the mask and, and wear the do-rag. Don't shave your head. Just wear a do-rag and cover up your hair plugs and, uh, and, and do what you need to do. And then, but again, wear the mask when you're not talking because, you know, that's what cancer patients do. Putting masks on cancer patients is, is equivalent to having them ride a zebra in the interest of not getting ill. It's retarded. It has nothing to do with anything. Well, if they wear a mask, then they won't catch things from other sick people. Ladies and gentlemen, that's not how dis-ease spreads. You've heard me say it a million times. I'm going to say it one more time. It's not how dis-ease spreads. It's not coughing or sneezing on people, and cancer patients themselves are not contagious. It doesn't work that way. So whoever his medical doctor is is an idiot. He's clearly an idiot. And uh, yeah, there's no way around it. Absolutely no way around it. Okay. Project Veritas. Good Lord almighty. Um, allegedly, James O'Keefe has been kicked off of the board temporarily. There was some internal hijacking of Project Veritas that allegedly took place. I'm going to leave this one alone. I don't know what's really going on. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a money grab. If it really is an effort to try to kick James O'Keefe off legitimately, uh, and it's not, again, some sympathy money grab, well, that should tell you all you need to know about who funds Project Veritas. You've heard me say again, the Koch brothers are a ma major contributor to Project Veritas, and the Koch brothers don't like Donald Trump. And the Koch brothers, I believe, are Jewish. So you know, connect the dots there. But there's there's more fingers and, and more strings around Project Veritas, I think, than what people can imagine. So regardless of, of what's going on there and the bigger fish that they were going for regarding Pfizer and is as valuable as that was, um, I don't know if what we're watching is manufactured. I, again, I don't know if it's a sympathy money grab I don't know what it is, but I'm just going to stay away from it. It's not, uh, th th there's too many angles on that one. The Simone Gold thing for me is way more simple, but the Project Veritas thing, you got to ask yourself, why have they been around as long as they have and been able to do the things that they've done for quite some time? And now all of a the sudden, there's a, a mutiny on the bounty. I, I don't get it. So, yeah. Either way, that's taking place, and I'm, I'm just going to stay away from it until more factual information comes out because I have, I have no clue.
Okay, back to the jab stuff here real quick. Here's Todd Callender briefly talking for about a minute regarding the jab cases in foreign countries and convening alleged tribunals in order to prosecute either foreign officials or medical doctors or these companies themselves. I'm going to let him do the talking. Again, I don't know what to believe regarding this. Uh, it's optimistic, which I think is why I'm sharing it. It's it's optimism, and we'll keep an eye on it, but I'm not sure. This is on Truth Justice Twitter account, at Sparta Justice. It says, breaking news, Swiss president and the Minister of Health are under investigation, indictment, and prosecution by the Attorney General for COVID crimes involving lying about the vaccine effectiveness and safety. Thailand, convening war crime tribunals to nullify Pfizer contracts. And the reason that that is happening is because apparently the Princess of Thailand has taken the jabs uh, and is either in a coma or still injured or dead or something along those lines as a result of taking the jabs. So here's Todd Callender in three, two, one. And he's a lawyer, by the way, apparently. Well, I found out yesterday um, that a gentleman by the name of Pascal Najati in Switzerland was able to get convinced the Swiss attorney general of the nation to prosecute the Swiss president and the minister of health for abuse of process. There are two other criminal defendants um, that are sealed at this moment in time, but the president himself and the minister of health are under investigation, indictment, and prosecution by the Swiss attorney general. It's the first criminal complaint anywhere on the planet that has legs. This is the first time anywhere that anybody's been charged with these crimes, and it happened in Switzerland. I just heard about it yesterday. I'm also working with um, a royal family in Southeast Asia who had one of their family members killed. Um, they are able, by virtue of their lineage and power in that country, to convene their own war crimes tribunal. So we're, we're pursuing that outside of the United States because we can't get anything done inside the United States. The tide has changed. It's really changed. And now you're going to see the floodgates open. These are universal jurisdiction crimes, which means that if Switzerland wanted to prosecute our president, they would not only have the ability to do that and do that in absentia, they would have the ability to sentence and actually carry out that sentence uh, in, in absentia, meaning the extraterritorially. If they were able to find a treaty partner, they could go and grab whoever it is responsible, bring it back to Switzerland for the, the execution, if that's what the sentence was. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. The first sovereign to do this. So it's optimistic. I'll go with that. It's optimistic. Again, if he's to be believed and and that's to be believed that that's going on within their governments, great. I've heard some of that before in the past, some from Karen Kingston, some from a few other people, but that's good. It, it, again, if that happens, that's great. I just hope that whatever tribunal they put together, they don't leave out our government. I mean, you're you're welcome to come on in and take them. You can have them. But we should be doing that here, which of course rolls back to all of the issues that I've brought up and even, well, countless people have brought up, which is, is why is that not happening here now? Again, I think yesterday's Twitter thing was, was or the other day, uh, you know, the, the Twitter congressional hearing was, was an important step in that process, no doubt about it. And there's another 
procedure taking place, I guess, here in the Judiciary Committee, again, regarding more corruption in government. The irony is is clearly there, but um, this is, I, you know, I, I think this is the drip, drip, drip of, of serious information that's coming forward, and, and I think that's the optimistic approach to take on some of this. It, it's going to force the hands of, of those at the local level to potentially do something. But again, it brings me back to that question of, do they have to recuse themselves because they've been involved, because they've even take the sh- you know, taken the shots themselves and everything else that I brought up at the beginning of this episode? So I don't know. Again, I'm not a lawyer, don't know how it works, but we will see. We will certainly see. Okay. I'm going to end with this one. This is a WHO document from 2017. Uh, Rather frightening, I think, but it is titled A Best Practice Guidance. This is over, uh, goodness gracious, it's approximately a 45-page document, again from 2017, and it's titled How to Respond to Vocal Vaccine Deniers in Public. I mean, this right here is how specific the WHO gets with crafting their own narratives and their own communication strategies. The abstract says this, quote, the guidance document provides basic principles for a spokesperson of any health authority on how to respond to vocal vaccine deniers. The suggestions are based on psychological research on persuasion, on research in public health, communication, studies, and on WHO risk communication guidelines. Unquote. And again, this was developed by the World Health Organization in 2017. Uh, I'm going to read through the table of context here real quick. And again, keep in mind, who is going to receive a copy of this? And who is going to carry it out and who's going to even receive watered-down versions of this to where the words themselves within a document like this are manipulated and then used within endless work environments? Well, I mean, the answer is, clearly you know this, it's every work environment. And you'd better believe that it was the hospitals, doctor's offices, businesses, city councils, mayor's offices, police stations universities across the United States and across the world, along with every K-12 school district everywhere. They were all given these particular strategies. It probably made its way directly into county health departments and, again, major hospitals and then the trickle-down effect, but also departments of education. And then, of course, HR directors and PR directors within school districts and even all throughout university settings. The table of contents says this. Number one, there's an introduction. Let me see here real quick. There's uh, 11 chapters. 11. In chapter one, there's the introduction, and then there are three sections in chapter one. The first one is, what situation does this document address? The next one is, the term vaccine denier. And then the next one is, the term vocal vaccine denier. So again... It's incredible. My name has got to be on an FBI watch list, doesn't it? My name has got to be floating around Twitter emails and all kinds of things. Again, I'm not trying to make it about me, but 
for those of us that were maybe a little more vocal than others, you know that they've got our, our face and name up on some wall with yarn attached to it, you know, going in multiple directions. I, I love it. I, again, it makes me smile. It, you know, as the old meme goes, if, if, you're, uh, if, you're not an, if you're not on a government watch list by now, you're not trying hard enough. I love it. Uh, chapter two is the target audience. And then the, subti- uh, the subchapter under that is understanding the target audience. Chapter three is the speaker. And there are four subchapters titled, Who Should Be the Spokesperson, Being a Good Speaker, Being a Good Listener, Do's and Don'ts of Communication. Chapter four is titled, The Argument, with two subchapters, Response to Vocal Vaccine Denier, Beyond Vocal Vaccine Deniers, A Response to Other Discussants. Chapter 5 is titled Unfavorable Interview Conditions. Chapter 6 is Depolarization, Embracing the Opponent. Chapter 7 is Religious Beliefs, with one subchapter titled How to Respond to Religious Concerns. Chapter 8, How to Behave in a Passionate Discussion. Chapter 9, Participating or Not. Chapter 10, Fake Experts, Predatory Publishers. I have to be in that chapter. Uh, and chapter 11, what now? And then they have one appendix for, for references, apparently. This is, it's quite the playbook. They have rules. They have goals. They have, uh, they have visualizations. They have all kinds of things. I mean, it is, it's quite the presentation. It's quite the PDF. I'm going to link this in the description below so you can take a look. It's jacked up. It really is jacked up. It goes through nonverbal communications, how to detect whether or not a person is an anti-vaxxer before they even say anything, uh, different words to use using inclusive terms, uh, steps to arguing against quote-unquote anti-vaxxers, which, by the way, of course, is a derogatory term that was created by government in the interest of discrediting people who know more about what poisons are being injected into people than other individuals who are just going along with the mainstream narrative. It is disgusting. Again, I will link that in the description below so that you can check it out. And other than that, ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend, and I will catch you on Monday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.